0: Hello there folks, welcome to another edition of the CIA Cast. I'm Joel Cookson, and I am happy that you've decided to spend a little time with us talking a little high school sports in the state of Connecticut. We saw an exciting conclusion to the spring season this past weekend with championships all over the state. And uh, as is our tradition here in the CIC cast, we're going to uh, try and go through all of it here, or at least uh, as much of it as we can in a single podcast episode. So we're going to uh, be reaching out to folks all around the state uh, who are on hand for some of the championship games to get their perspective on what they saw. So let's go through our lineup here. We are going to have with us this week uh, Joe Palladino of the Waterbury Republican American talking about the softball championships, uh, which all took place at West Haven. We're going to get on the phone with Don Boyle of the NFHS Network, who was there at uh, Palmer Field for the baseball championships. Scott Erickson of the Stanford Advocate is going to talk to us a little bit about uh, baseball and softball, as well as some of the other uh, successes the teams in Fairfield County were able to put together during the championship season. We're going to have Steve Steve Kirk from the NFHS Network, who is uh, doing the broadcasts for the Girls Lacrosse Championships at Jonathan Law. And then we're going to have Dan Nowak of the New Haven Register with us to talk about the Boys Lacrosse Championships, which were uh, at Brian McMahon High School this past weekend. So a very, very full podcast. So I am going to do what I do best, hopefully, and that is get out of the way and uh, and let these good folks talk a little bit about what they saw uh, this past weekend, which was uh, an exciting weekend of CIAC championship competition. So we're going to get right to our interviews in just a quick minute here. But first, got to do a little bit of house cleaning. Uh, obviously, as we said, the spring championships uh, kind of put a wrap to the the championship seasons for us here at the CIAC and kind of moving into summer mode Says so uh, as many of our schools are getting out as well. So we'll probably – we will certainly try and post a, a podcast uh, during the summer or two, one or two during the summer, but probably not on our regular uh, – every other week's schedule. So, uh, as part of that, we encourage you to, uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Uh, you can find that link at ciacsports.com at the podcast link. If you go to iTunes and subscribe, then you will know that you are getting the, uh, the most up-to-date version. If you, uh, and also if you subscribe, we would love that, but also leave us a review and rate us there on iTunes. That's just one way that we're able to, uh, to get a sense for how, just how many folks are checking out the, uh, the CIAC podcast. So we hope you will, um, do that. Of course, you can always follow us on Twitter at Ciac Sports. That's a great way to know if uh, know if things are going on, new information, new posts, new things that are happening. There uh, is a, is a very busy place for us. Uh, Facebook.com/slash Ciac Sports. You can keep track of all of the comings and goings with the CIAC there as well. And, of course, of course, the main spot, CIACsports.com. That's your home for all of the information. The fall sports schedules for 2017, believe it or not, have been posted at CIACsports.com. So you can uh, start getting ready for uh, for the fall of 2017. If you just, uh, you're just you ready to, to wipe away what was the uh, the spring championships and start looking ahead to the fall, you can do that at CIACsports.com. The fall championships have uh, – Excuse me, the fall schedules. Regular season schedules have been posted there uh as well. So uh and you can also email us here at the C I A C Cast. Email address is C I A Cast, that's C I A C C A S T at C A S C I A C dot O R G. That is a lot of Cs in our uh, email address, but that's how you can get in touch with me. If you want to uh, talk to us and let us know things you would uh, you'd like on the podcast, let us know for uh, the summer. We always talk about it's uh, the summertime. Is uh, we we try to maybe do some different things. We're not we don't have uh, you know specific sports to cover, don't have specific games to cover, championships to talk about. So be sure to get on the horn with us. Who's a who's a frequent guest that you would like us to uh, to talk to and uh, and get into things, or maybe a, a different kind of topic that you'd like us to cover. We usually will try and do something a little bit different during the summer uh, the summer months so get on the phone with us get on the email with us let us know what you would uh, like us to do. So I've already taken up more time than I intend to do here, but let's quickly run through things you might have missed at CIACsports.com. Most of the information there, uh, championship related. We've got the linked up spring championships, which is where we uh, we have all the stories from all of our championships. I believe it's currently 44 championship stories that uh, are appearing there. If you want to kind of get the, the broad scope of all that went down during the CIAC championship season, that is a good resource for you there. I think we'll be adding, uh, by the time you hear this perhaps, uh, the results from the decathlon and heptathlon so we might get up to 46 stories there in that championship edition but hopefully you'll uh, you'll check that out uh, the NFHS Network you heard me mention we're going to talk to Don Boyle and Steve Kirk two of the folks who are handling the broadcast duties uh, we had, cha- had broadcast at Boys and Girls Lacrosse we had broadcast at Baseball we had broadcast at Boys Volleyball which unfortunately I don't have someone coming on this podcast to talk about but we hopefully will uh, be able to cover those championships uh, in the uh, coming weeks but either way the NFHS Network broadcast all of those championship finals, those are still available online, nfhsnetwork.com/ciac. Uh, you can watch the on-demand version of those. You can also order DVDs if you uh, would like to have yourself a hard copy of a championship uh, broadcast. So, just a few things you can do there, and uh, something I never usually mention, but uh, feel that we should this time of year, considering the championship, you can buy your championship merchandise uh, from ciacsports.com. At the very top of the page, there is a shop. Uh, icon. You click on that, you can order uh, order gear from any of the uh, any of the spring uh, championship uh, competitions. So you can uh, do that there as well, and uh, that's something. It's the same gear that was available on site. If you weren't able to get it there, or maybe decide you know I want a few more uh, pieces of uh, of clothing, whatever it might be. You can grab those there as well. So cicsports.com, and then in the uh, top uh, menu, there's a shop icon you can uh, click on that there. So just a few things that I wanted to cover and then we are going to get into our interviews. Of course, we also have to take a few minutes here To give you the reminder from our friends at the Department of Transportation, I'm just going to read this sucker this week because I'm not feeling very creative. Now, you sometimes will try and ad-lib this bad boy, but I think we're just going to go straight to the copy this week and tell you that drunk driving continues to take a terrible toll on the nation, claiming almost 10,000 lives each year. In 2011 alone, there were 9,878 fatalities on America's highways in which drunk drivers or motorcycle riders were involved. That works out to about an average of one fatality every 53 minutes. Athletes, fans, and families, please always designate a sober driver to stay safe on the road. And that is uh, important advice, as always, from our friends. At the Connecticut Department of Transportation. With that said, we are going to go to our interviews here, and I think uh, you know what I did uh, one or one or two times ago. I think I can't remember which uh, which championship uh, or which podcast it was, but I didn't even do my little uh, my little blurbs in between uh, our interviews here. So I think we're just going to go straight. Bang, 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 bang. We're going to go right through uh, talking to our folks here. We're going to start things off. Uh, I think we're going to do Joe Palladino of the Waterbury Waterbury Republican American. Then we're going to talk to Steve Kirk from uh, the NFHS Network. Then Scott Erickson from the Stanford Advocate. Then Dan Nowak of the New Haven Register. And then Don Boyle of the NFHS Network. So those are going to air all in a row here. It's going to be a long episode. We hope you uh, tune in with us and, uh, and check out everything these gentlemen have to say. It really was a fun uh, championship weekend, and uh, with some great games, some great competition, some great stories. So hope you will uh, check it out. Kicking it off for us. Joe Palladino of the Waterbury Republican American. On the phone, we are very happy to be chatting with Joe Palladino of the Waterbury Republican American. He had himself a busy weekend as uh, several (laughs) of the teams from his coverage area were competing for championships over the weekend. Uh, And uh, Joe had found himself uh, camped out at West Haven High School covering the softball finals uh, where several teams from his area were involved. So Joe, we thank you as always for being with us to offer some perspective here.
1: Thank you, Joe, for asking. I do appreciate it, and yes, I mean counting some of the semifinal round games too. My car can now make it to uh, to West Haven High School with with my eyes closed. That's it's not easy to get there sometimes and I can I'm I could blaze down there now with no trouble.
0: Well, that's uh believe <laughs> believe me that the same is true of the CIIC staff because they yeah. uh the folks <laughs> at West Haven are very very good to us and uh and always provide a, an excellent uh site for us. So we're happy to be there. Um and you were there for as I said the the four softball championships uh three of which in particular were really involving uh, teams from your coverage area. But uh, before we sort of get to the specific games, I'm just curious, um, you know, both uh, from the weekend and maybe from even from the tournament in general uh, on the softball side, sort of biggest impressions or, or takeaways sort of in general from the, from the championship weekend?
1: Well, first things, uh, in the spring season, I tend to cover uh, more volley, excuse me, volleyball, more softball as it gets down to the finals the past few years, and I've enjoyed it immensely. We've had the chance to see so many great teams and such wonderful individual talent. Yeah. And, and that is a lead-up to this year. It was maybe more exciting than any other uh, softball tournaments I've ever seen. We've had wonderful athletes playing, but the pitching wasn't as dominant as we've seen in the past, which meant that the games were a little more exciting a little more wide open. We had laughed at bat drama all through the tournament mm-hmm. in all classifications. I don't know that any favorite dominated or won all the way through. Of course, the teams that won would call themselves favorite. Sure. But it was so wide open and exciting and it may have been the best softball I've seen, at least from a, from a uh, spectator standpoint um in years
0: Joel. yeah no it's uh you know we do sort of you know i think that's always the 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 stereotype for lack of a better word with softball is you know you just get it's which team has the best pitchers and they're going to kind of dominate their way through a tournament and you know you get your one nothing games your two nothing games whatever it might be and uh it didn't seem to quite follow that script this year so let's uh let's start with the uh the class s which is what got us started on uh on friday night a, two, a team uh from your neck of the woods that's uh you know, put together a nice little run here in Holy Cross. What was sort of the story for you for that Class S championship for Holy Cross as they knocked off uh, St. Paul Catholic, but both in terms of the game and, and the kind of season for Holy Cross?
1: Well, first off, it was a great beginning to the weekend for us at the Waterbury Republican American because it was the first of four NBL schools um, that were in the championship game. So we were absolutely beside ourselves. We, we've had many wonderful teams come from our region but <laughs> this many playing for a title yeah. was remarkable. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll take a step back when I say uh, it wasn't quite as dominant pitching this year because Sarah Lawton for Holy Cross, in fact, was mm-hmm. in, in my view the most dominant um, of the weekend. Now, this, Heart, excuse me, Holy Cross has won three consecutive championships. Law, Lawton pitched them to those three titles, and in the last three championship games, she has only allowed a total of six hits. Okay, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what, what more you're supposed to do. Um, so Lawton was, was wonderful. Uh, she starred at the plate as well. It was a great game against St. Paul. I'll tell you the last impression I had from that game. First of all, Holy Cross is just loaded mm-hmm. with freshman and sophomore players that are, that are outstanding. Uh, and the game MVP in that Friday night game was a freshman, Jenna Moad, with a home run and a double. She's a catcher, um, very poised uh, young lady. There's, there's great sophomores all over the place in the, in the Brown twins, Allie Brown and Hannah Brown, shortstop and center fielder. So you had the dominant pitcher, yes, and then you have this, this whole new wave of underclassmen. So presumably if Holy Cross again continues to build another, another great picture on the mound, um, goodness gracious! We may see them there again, Joel.
0: Yeah, no, they've uh, become a, a familiar sight uh, the last few years. That uh, one thing I thought that uh, in sort of looking at the the brackets and and things as I was preparing to talk to you, that kind of made I thought for an interesting championship weekend is that you did sort of have a lot of this. You know, you had the Holy Cross, obviously, who's you know on a, on a nice run, and then you have your Seymour and your Southington uh, over the weekend. You know, who are sort of uh, some of the softball royalty in the state of <laughs> Connecticut, but then you've got you know, the L game, which which started things off on, on Saturday with Joel Barlow and Torrington, who were both playing in the finals for the first time. So I know you were uh, had a close eye on that one as well, as uh, as Joel Barlow able to come away with the championship in Class L. What uh, what sort of jumped out at you and stood out to you from that Class L final?
1: Well, that, you know, l- let me just say this. Their first final, j- just as a, a note... Uh, the next game was North Brantford, who was in their first final mm-hmm. in something like 40 years. Yeah. I love stuff like that. Oh, sure. I mean, let's be honest. It's, it's, it's great to follow these teams in certain sports. We all know there are certain teams that are so dominant. And you just love to see these teams come, I shouldn't say from out of nowhere. They earned their way there. But from a, from a news media perspective, who are these guys? Absolutely. It was a wonderful thing to see. Now, of course, uh, from, from our perspective – uh, we clearly were hoping that the NBL would uh, keep right on <laughs> rolling through the state championship weekend. Uh, but Joe Barlow was wonderful. This was a very talented team. I loved their MVP. I think their shortstop Brianna Marcelino. What a terrific player! Uh, she was. Uh, she, she she got a big hit. You know what was great about about Barlow is there. Here's the case: there wasn't really one star player that knocked you out. Sure. As I was watching the game, it was just. Kid after kid, everybody in the lineup was a hitter. I think everybody, uh, six or seven different kids got base hits. I, you know, that's what I love to see. I mean, so often you see in a softball game, you know, if you get through the, the, the two, three, four guys in the lineup, you can take a breath for the next two innings. Right. Well, that, that was not the case with Joe Barlow. They hit up and down the lineup, um, as does Torrington. That was one of the strengths of Torrington, too. It was a very exciting game. I'll tell you, it was it was uh, again another four two tight tight ball game. And and let me just say that's another distinction from this weekend. Everything was was hinging on one or two at bats, sure. One or two defensive plays. Um, and so you got to give Joel Barlow credit. First time there, and they win it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no question. As you said, and that really, uh, I think you know, watching a watching a championship game when it's that tight, and you can sort of feel the tension on every pitch and every uh, every play in the field is a critical one. It uh, it really kind of ratchets up that uh, that excitement and, and kind of builds on itself. I think as the game goes on. So
1: well, let me just, if I may, just sure. quickly. Out. You meant, we mentioned West Haven High School before. This place was packed for these four games. I mean, I don't know what the attendance was. I, I, I like to look around and try to guess, and I give up guessing because I'm always <laughs> way off. But the fields were packed. They were surrounding. The, the crowd was riding on every pitch. I mean, they weren't just, you know, enjoying themselves. Every pitch, if it was a ball, one side would roar its approval. And if it was a striker, the other side, I mean, the, the crowds were sensational. Generally positive. I, I didn't hear any cuckoos out there. no one was riding the umpires or getting on coaches um I just want to put the you know and again West haven was was a sensational host it It was in all ways a sensational weekend
0: well that is uh that's certainly music to the ears uh from <laughs> the, from the folks here in uh in the sure. in the offices in Cheshire. I will say that but uh you you talked a little bit about uh you know some of the sort of contrast with uh with Seymour who is uh, another again another team you're very familiar with and a frequent uh visitor to the, the softball championship round, taking on North Brantford, making just their second appearance and looking for a first title, uh, and it was Seymour coming away with the win in Class M. What was, uh, what was the story from your perspective in that Class M championship game?
1: Well, you, you know, one thing that I noticed, and, and it's a, a good example here, too, we talked earlier about the, the dominant pitching that we always see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw pitching changes. in in the state tournament like I've never seen before. You you know, you ride that horse all the way. Yeah, And the kid generally pitches every inning of every game. I couldn't believe how many pitching changes I saw, Hmm. Um, which was very rare and interesting that the depth of talent has gotten to the point where you can bring in a whole bunch of different players. I was really impressed with that. And I bring that up in this case because that's what happened with Seymour, where you've got a couple of young sophomore pitchers one started in Jenna Geffert, uh, another finished in uh, Molly Adamo. You just don't see that in a state championship right. game. Uh, then you've got this, this one player, Becca Johnson, was the, was the MVP. She had four hits. She was constantly on base. She might be the fastest kid I've ever seen. She scored the winning run on a squeeze play. You know, Se- Seymour tied it. With, matter of fact, the winning pitcher, Molly Adamo, the relief pitcher, ties it in the bottom of the fifth. More rallies and wins it in the bottom of the sixth. Then Adamo comes back out and strikes a batter out with two runners on <laughs> at the top of the seventh. I mean, this was frantic stuff. Yeah, uh, uh, I don't remember what the final score or not was. I apologize. Four, I think it three. might have four, been four three. Um, the final. Four three. There we go. Sorry about that. That's all right. <laughs> yes, I was paying attention, Joel. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, it, it, these, these games were sensational. And I guess what you like to see is kids rise to the occasion. Sure. Um, I'm thinking back now. I don't remember uh, errors allowing winning runs to score. I know Suddington booted the ball a little bit, and and, and the girl that got the game-winning squeeze bunt, she she had made an error. Becca Finley, she had made an error earlier, so it was good to see her come back and and produce the winning run um, once again. It was mostly positive plays and and um, excellent action right to the last at bats last year. Well, I mean Seymour got here. Mm-hmm. By beating Granby um, down to their last out and last strike in the, uh, I think it was a quarterfinal round. Yeah. A a 2 1 win. Uh, They're banging the ball off the wall with two outs in the bottom (laughs) of the seventh to send the game to to extra. I mean, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Um, And again, for Seymour, 11th state championship, I I didn't know what to say about them anymore. You know, uh, Kenny Pereira down there following the footsteps of Bill Davis, they're just. They're just building winner after winner. It's tremendous to see.
0: Yeah, no, it's interesting. I had, you know, obviously with championship time, as we've said, you sort of get these, you know, some of these teams that uh, are, are are newbies to the finals and maybe winning first titles, and then you see some of these programs that are just here consistently year after year, and you sort of wonder how that happens in the world of high school yeah. sports where, you know, theoretically you're not, uh, you know, the, the, you're just dealt whatever hand you have every year. But uh, it's amazing to see the, the way some of these teams, uh, you know, just – the, the programs that are built just come and, and the, the kids, new kids step in and are just as good as the kids who, uh, who, who departed before them.
1: Well, that's what we saw in Double L, as, as, you know, in the final game of the day. Now, Southington, let's face it, their, their softball tradition is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's be honest. <laughs> absolutely tremendous. I, I was, so they played Trumbull in the final, and, of course, I was listening in. I'm there working. I'm typing up my stories, and I'm hearing the Trumbull coach say, All right, girls, we're not supposed to win. <laughs> and I said, "Well, wait a minute. Everybody's supposed to win, but I didn't know what she was doing. You know, sure. she was trying to we're, we're the David, they're the Goliath." Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the, here's the example of there there were no favorites. I mean, you could probably call Seymour if you want. You could probably call Holy Cross, but everybody who made these games had a shot at this. this there, were, there were no cakewalks in yeah. this, um, and I think Trumbull had a rally too, as I recall. Now they they, uh, they you know we, first of all we saw a lot of a lot of I was going to say baseballs. a lot of softballs flying, flying over the fence this weekend. I don't know if the wind was blowing out off the Long Island Sound or what, Joel, but Taylor Brown hit a, hit, hit a home run for, uh, for Trumbull. Uh, they, they had to, you know, they, they got the game-winning hit, uh, the pitcher Ali Zabo on the top of the seventh, and she has to get the final out with the winning, tying and winning run on base in the yeah. bottom of the seventh. I mean, who wrote the
0: script, Joel? Was it you? No, it was not me. Although I, I, will certainly take credit for it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no. You look at the, as you say, you know, we sort of uh, the the Holy Cross victory Friday night, you know, was uh, maybe deceptively, you know, lopsided in a four-run, a four-nothing win is not really that lopsided. But seemed, then you have, but yes, you're right. Then you yep. have one-run game, two-run game, one-run game on Saturday, uh, uh, all uh, involving some rallies, and uh, yeah, really just a, a remarkable weekend of uh, of softball championships.
1: All very exciting stuff. And, I mean, I probably shouldn't even get into this territory, but you know what? There was the, the game's final out. You've probably already heard this. The game's final out, a little pop-up, and, and a player bumped into a photographer on the field, and the ball dropped, and, uh, oh, boy, that was a close one. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and the, the umpire, the photographers were told, please leave the field, and they, they got the final out anyway. So, I mean, there there was, you know the old expression, everything happened but a fire and a flood. It was It was just... <laughs> Just wonderful softball. Uh, you know, folks who went to the other championship tournament finals, I'm sure they all said the same thing. But I, I defy anyone to tell me if it was anything more exciting than what happened in these, in these softball finals this season.
0: Yeah, no, uh, that's about as good as, uh, I think that's as good as we're going to do. So we'll, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll take that and, uh, and say thank you very much, Mr. Palladino. So uh, we appreciate, as always, your, uh, your perspective. It was a fun weekend for you and some, uh, some of your local folks uh, coming away with some state championship hardware. And uh, we always appreciate your perspective, sir. Thanks, Joe. I love it when you call. Take care now. The Girls Lacrosse Championships took place this past weekend at Jonathan Law High School in, uh, in Milford, and Steve Kirk was on hand with the NFHS Network, providing the, uh, the live coverage of that. So we're going to ask Steve to uh, help us break down uh, some of what he saw over the championship weekend. Steve, thanks so much for being with us.
2: Joel, thanks for having me.
0: Definitely wanted to uh, to get your impressions of what you saw uh, over the weekend. Three championship games there at uh, at Jonathan Law High School. So let's uh, let's start before we sort of get into the the specifics of each game. What were kind of your your general impressions or, or sort of biggest takeaways uh, from what you saw uh, in general from the championships this weekend?
2: Uh, first of all, I thought the venue at Law was was a great choice uh, that the CIC made, and Vijay Cerullo and his staff uh, put on a a great show, you know. It was good sight lines. There was ample parking. The, the stands were filled. There was there was great crowds. Uh, you had the all important concession stand, which was uh, important, especially uh, on a hot day. So I, I just thought it was a great job by the CIC and Law uh, for putting a, a great environment and a setup to to host the championship games. From the games perspective itself, uh, you know, I was certainly impressed with all six teams. You know, they were playing for a state championship for a reason. They had the skill, the talent, the coaching, the dedication, uh, and just really walked away. Uh, uh, with the, that was a great day for, for Connecticut High School girls lacrosse.
0: Yeah, no question. Uh, some, some good competitive games as well, which we love to see at the, at the championship level. So let's start uh, in, in Class L where we get another uh, title for that uh, that Darien Machine as uh, they win the Class L championship uh, against their conference rival, Wilton, but uh, pushed a little bit, particularly in the second half uh, by their uh, their conference rival. What was kind of uh, stood out to you from that Class L game, Steve?
2: Yeah, I think three things stood out most. Uh, you know, how much Wilton improved. Uh, you know, they had lost 15-2 to in the regular season to, to Darianne, and, and they gave, like you said, uh, the blue wave, everything they could handle in that second half. Uh, Wilton head coach Meredith Myron, uh, you know, she had to be pleased with the effort. I mean, I'm sure she probably wasn't, uh, you know, thrilled with the result, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, the effort from her team was, was, was definitely there and and, uh, and, and is commendable. Uh, the other two quick, quick takeaways is both coaches removed uh, starting goalies and replaced them with sophomores in the second half. I thought that was interesting, but uh, Bridget Wall from Weston and Maggie Brooks from Darianne, they made big saves to, to kind of validate that decision. And then, you know, just Darianne's resolve and really resiliency. Uh, not easy to win five in a row, you know, no matter how talented uh, you are, but uh, head coach Lisa Lindley, you know she hasn't playing at a high level. They were pushed uh, by Wilton, but they were a deserving state champion. And in fact, for the Darien seniors, that's four FCAC and four Class L uh, championships uh, throughout their career. That's, uh, that's a pretty good legacy.
0: Yeah, no, it uh, doesn't get. Uh, I'm not sure you can do much better than that, quite frankly. With uh, with with that, and as you said, you know they got a, got a challenge and responded to it, which is uh, which is exciting to see at the at the state championship game. Uh, moving on to Class S, where you had, a, again, a, two uh, conference rivals squaring off with uh, New Fairfield, and they were able to uh, to hold off Weston to, to earn that Class S championship. What was the difference in that game from your perspective, Steve?
2: Yeah, just another one where you could tell uh, that both teams were familiar with each other. Uh, neither gave in. It was a 50-minute battle. New Fairfield jumped uh, out to a quick lead. Uh, Weston roared back. Taylor Mo, uh, Moore had five goals and two assists, but it was a new, new Fairfield balanced scoring attack. They had six different goal scorers. That was the difference. Uh, Rachel Nicolay and Nett had 11 saves and uh, several important ones in the second half. So uh, I was impressed with New Fairfield in, in terms of uh, their their uh, willingness to, to make the uh, great decisions to, to lead to a win at the end and, and deserving of a state championship.
0: Yeah, no question. Uh, as you said, a good, uh, real nice competitive and able to hold off. Again, sort of similar, uh, get that lead and then able to hold off their, uh, their conference foe there. So uh, in, in Class M, you had a little bit of a different uh, perspective, two teams looking for their first uh, state championship in, in girls lacrosse and playing for the title in Bramford and, uh, and Pomperog. What did you see in that game, and, and what were some of the keys that, uh, that stood out to you there in that Class M final?
2: Yeah, that, that was a game uh, that was kind of building as the day went along. And, uh, you know, someone was walking off that law field elated with the, with a the state championship, and the other was going to be uh, extremely disappointed. And elation uh, found itself on the Brantford side at the end. And you got to give Brantford head coach uh, Jackie Ciccolini a lot of credit. Uh, her maiden name is Alessi, and uh, that's kind of the first family of Brantford lacrosse. Her brother, mm-hmm. A.J., coaches in the Northam the West Haven team. All her, uh, you know, her brothers and father are, are all involved in a program. Jackie herself was on the first team to, to ever play across so to come full circle and, and coach a team uh, to a state championship, and when it's the first one, uh, I can't imagine you know that feeling, and, and certainly credit goes to her and certainly her uh, her players. Uh, but I think the key to that game was some the adjustments that Branford made. They had played to a 13 twelve overtime game uh, that uh, PopeRo had won in the regular season, so they made some adjustments and then they had a big run in the middle of the game to kind of pull away and eventually cruise to a 15 to eight win.
0: Yeah, no, you said that those uh, it's interesting when the teams uh, and, and had that in, in all the finals teams that had faced each other during the regular season and and see the way that the uh, the championships shake out uh, as teams are able to uh, to make adjustments. Um, you, you've hit on a few folks, but I'm curious, if uh, you know, just maybe a few players uh, in each championship game that really stood out to you uh, and, and sort of left their mark on you and impression on you from uh, from the weekend's action.
2: Yeah I think from from the Darianne side it was, it was Katie Ramsey uh she she's tall she's lanky she took the draws she won a lot of them so using that long reach uh, she was effective on the offensive side. She had a goal or two and an assist, and uh, I was impressed with her. Uh, Julia Bonist and Rebecca Wishstrike from Wilton had four goals each, uh, kind of carried them offensively. From the New Fairfield and Weston games, we mentioned Taylor Moore before, but uh, you know, five goals and two assists. She she willed Weston back into that game. Caitlin Nieves had, had four goals for, for New Fairfield. Uh, from the Brantford game, I was impressed with uh, Jill Car- Charleglio and Nat and then uh, a name you're probably going to hear a lot from, but a sophomore, Sophie Spencer, had nine goals in the semifinals. She followed that up with five goals in the championship game.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh,
2: I'm sure you'll hear some things from her uh, in her final two seasons.
0: No question. That's uh, that's a pretty impressive performance. Uh, just a sophomore there, as you said. So, uh, Steve, this is uh, your first time uh, covering the, I believe, covering the, the girls lacrosse finals for the NFHS Network, where fans can still go check out those games on demand. Want to make sure we uh, we mention that there on the NFHS Network. But any kind of final thoughts, uh, big takeaways there, uh, or final uh, pa- you know, parting uh, things you wanted to share from that championship weekend there at Jonathan Law?
2: Yeah, it started with a, with a gutty-gritty effort by, by Wilton, yet it was Darian that got one for the thumb with, with the five-peat in, in Class L. You know, give them credit. New Fairfield was certainly impressive in that middle game. And just a pure joy and satisfaction of happiness uh, on the Brantford sidelines as those uh, final seconds were ticking down for that first state championship really was a great way to, to end what was a great uh, three games of lacrosse state titles being crowned uh,
0: over at Law. All right. Well, we, uh, we, we appreciate it, Steve, and uh, appreciate you carving out a little time to chat with us and, and great work with the network uh, there for us over the weekend, and, uh, and we appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon.
2: Thanks. Have a great summer.
0: There is always plenty of news, it seems, uh, during the spring championship season from our friends down in Fairfield County, and so we reach out to Scott Erickson of the Stamford Advocate to help us kind of go through some of the big storylines that emerged from that uh, part of the state during the spring championship. Scott, as always, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joel. Always good to talk to you. He's... uh back from a nice, cool ice rink, uh, watching his kids right. uh, do some practicing, and now is uh, back in the heat. So we, uh, we're we going to turn up the temperature on him here a little bit with some, uh, some hard-hitting questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll start with the game that I know you were on hand for and, and wrote about, which was uh, Trumbull with a bit of a surprise run to the Class Double L Finals in, in softball. And I guess start off maybe just by talking about that game kind of specifically and, and what was the key... Uh, in, in Trumbull coming up with the championship win there in double L over Southington?
3: Um, yeah, first of all, I just want to say that that, of, that game was, was really fantastic. It was a well played game, really big crowd on hand. West Haven, the people at West Haven run that thing really well. Um, and then you had two really good teams. And you had a team in Trumbull that's never even been to a championship, mm-hmm. and a team in Southington who I think had won 17. Yeah. Uh, so it was just so many contrasting styles. Now, this wasn't the same Southington team that you've seen the last couple of years, where they're just so dominant. Um, so, you know, a few of us kind of thought, you know, if Trumbull plays really well, and Ali Zabo pitches well, they can do this. Mm-hmm. You know, they can they can hang in this game. You know, and um, you know, some breaks are going to have to go their way, and they did. You know, Southington made five errors in the game. Yeah. So that's a hard way to to win a championship, and still they were tied in the seventh <laughs> inning. <laughs> you know, and had two runners on in the in the bottom of the seventh, you know, with a, with a chance to win it. Um, Trumbull just had a great group of seniors. Uh, you know, I mean, just a, a great group of kids. They'd always been talented. Um, and then Jackie Sheffs came there from Massac after a year off, and she and her coaching staff, whatever they did, just got those players to really click, uh, especially at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, I, I think Trumbull started the year two and three, two and four, something like that. I mean, you know, they were not playing great. Zabo was coming back from an injury. Uh, Leah Thompson was coming back from an injury. But once they got going, they were just on a roll. Yeah. And I think, you know, they lost in the quarterfinals to FCX. they got blown out. And I think people after that game kind of wrote them off, but they had been playing so well heading into the playoffs, and they they just picked it right back up in, in states and, Uh, It was a great performance, great for the town of Trumbull. Those people support their teams. Their student sections are some of the best year in and year out, and it was really great to see that, that program. Get a state championship.
0: Yeah, no. As you said, their first uh, their first appearance, and uh, they're they're one for one now. So that's uh, that's a pretty good uh, a pretty good marker to, to set there. And I'm I'm curious, you know, and, and I mentioned uh, obviously the spring championships, uh, you know, there tends to be uh, for in in certain sports uh, in particular uh, a strong FCAC presence. Uh, but softball, you know, comparatively speaking, has not necessarily been that that sport. You know, they, uh, the the FCIAC hasn't had a champion. Uh, I was looking back, I think, since 2010, which doesn't seem that long ago, but, you know, for, again, compared to some of these other sports, maybe it is. Uh, I'm just curious, you sort of talked about this a little bit, but, you know, did you have any sense that this run was coming from Trumbull or, or that if a, if an FCAC team was going to make a, you know, a run to a championship in softball, that it was going to be this Trumbull team?
3: Um, you know, I mean, I think myself and the other people that cover the FCAC softball this year thought that Trumbull, Stanford, or, or West Hill had the talent to make a run in this tournament. Um, obviously, you looked at Cheshire and Southington, and those were really two powerful programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cheshire, that, that pitcher was so good. Uh, and the, you know, obviously, they wouldn't be easy to beat, but all three of those teams, Trumbull, Stanford, West Hill, loaded with seniors, girls that had played you know, for many years, really good coaches also you know, at, at West Hill and Stanford. Um, so we felt like, and I, well, I felt like anyway, that they, one of those three could make a run. Yeah. Um, that it wasn't out of the realm of possibility. But, you know, over the years, while the FCAC's been very good at, at softball, those schools that, you know, I mentioned and a few other Amity, too, you know, they've just been so, so good yeah that it's been hard to break through mm-hmm. at double out. You know, I think St. Joe did in a lower class, but the, the quality of play has been so high from those upper teams outside of the FCAC. Um, so again, yeah, it was good for the FCAC, too to to have a team finally get through and and win it. I think yeah, I think West Hill was the last one probably. Or yeah,
0: yeah, 2010 was uh, was what yeah. I saw with West Hill.
3: Yep. Yeah, and it doesn't seem long ago, but it's, it's I mean it's seven years ago. Yep. So That's definitely a drought, uh, you know, for for a, a conference that does have traditionally pretty strong softball. Right. Um, so yeah, I I I didn't. I wasn't saying Trumbull's going to win the state championship, <laughs> but I definitely felt like those three teams had a shot to, to make a run, especially with Cheshire and Somington on the other side of the, of the bracket where you mm-hmm. wouldn't see them until a final, and then right. it's just one game that you got to go out there and, and beat a really good team. You yeah. know?
0: Yep, and that's uh, that's what they were able to do. So a nice uh, a nice little tournament uh, run there for for Trumbull. So uh, switching gears a little bit and, and over to the other sport that I know you spend a lot of time uh, covering in the spring, and that is baseball. Uh, yep. You weren't on hand uh, as one of the FCAC uh, teams was able to win a championship there in Double L as well with Staples. But uh, I saw you know prior to the semifinals, you wrote a bit about kind of what a what a golden season it was for FCAC baseball this year. Just talk a little bit about you know. What sort of stood out to you in terms of the regular season in that league, and then the you know, and then the strong tournament runs that the teams uh, did end up putting together there?
3: Yeah, I mean, when I looked at that league at the beginning, actually, you know, two years ago, it started two years ago, where all of a sudden, a bunch of these teams were just loaded with really talented sophomores, like mm-hmm. really talented sophomores, and then, then the year after, these kids started getting D one offers, you yeah. know, and there's not a lot of Division one baseball talent that comes out of the yes FCIAC. They've had some good teams. They've had state champions, but lots of you know, bunches of teams had multiple kids who were going off to play Division one baseball. And then you see that there were just several teams with a lot of seniors, deep pitching like Staples, West mm-hmm. Hill, Wilton, um, who you think you look at them, you say this team could beat anyone in, in a state tournament. Yeah, um, and Staples. Really, you know, they underperformed it a few times. And I know people said, well, they had six losses this year. I said, well, the FCAC was really a tough league to negotiate this year. It really, really was. I mean, you had, you know, two teams that were not very good, and then every other team was was competitive, and then the the teams at the top were really good. I mean, West Hill was loaded, (laughs) loaded. (laughs) They lost one of their pitchers early on to Tommy John surgery, but they still had two really good starters good pitchers behind them, and deep lineups. Yep. Wilton, too. Two really good starters. When you have those, that pitching plus the deep lineups, you're going to be dangerous. And, um, yeah, this year was a, was a special, special year to watch SCAC baseball. I really enjoyed it. The games were all good, uh, super competitive. And, um, you know, when you look at Amity, you say no one's going to be able to beat them. But eventually <laughs> they have to lose, right? right. I mean, they <laughs> what they did, and just as an aside, what Amity did winning four straight state baseball championships is one of the most remarkable things that I've seen you know, covering sports because that's such a hard tournament yeah. to win. And you know that you know, it's talent, yes, but there's luck in baseball too mm-hmm. and, and breaks and bad bounces and that just didn't happen to them yeah. for four years. They win 28 straight games. I mean, the kid that beat them Who's a sophomore was like in fifth grade the last time they <laughs> lost, lost a game, you know, Chad Knight. Yeah. I mean, that's, it, it's hard to even fathom, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it is. It's sort of you don't quite know how to. Co- you know, we have you know obviously in high school sports and we've talked about this. I've talked about this on this podcast. You know, you have sort of these traditional programs, um, you know, that win a lot of championships. But it's it, so it's hard, sort of hard to compare apples to oranges, different sports, whatever it might be. But yeah, that that run that they were on, it just sort of defies logic in some ways that uh, you wouldn't have one bad bad game in a baseball tournament for for four years and able to, uh, well, you know, four plus uh, three more games or whatever it was that got them back into the championship game. Um, Right,
3: because when teams do that in football or lacrosse or something, I mean, there's a physical presence to those games where you look at a team, you say, okay, this team's bigger, stronger, faster, better coached, you know, they are going to win, you know, multiple games or whatever, but in baseball, it's just, there's so many teams like that and just absolutely remarkable yeah whatever no, uh,
0: you know d- didn't have never had a pitcher on his off day you know whatever it might be <laughs>
3: never so, never right
0: remarkable. Exactly. um <laughs> you know and so you talked about that and I kind of asked the same question you looked at you know that big season in the FCAC, and you talked about, you know, how deep it was, was was Staples the team that you would have pegged maybe to to make that run to a tournament and tournament championship game and and ultimately be able to to solve uh, to solve Amity or was there a, was that a little bit of a surprise to you in terms of what the the records were able to put together?
3: No, I was not surprised. I mean, the, the, their team probably if you just look at them on paper was the most talented team. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they had to come through. Their bracket, they had to beat Wilton and West Hill, who I thought were the next two best teams in the FCX. So if any of those three had made it through, I wouldn't have been surprised. Right. I, I wouldn't have been surprised if one of those three played Amity in the championship. Staples had the best player, uh, I think, in the state, in Ben Kasparius. And what he did in his performances in these state championship games is crazy. I mean, he was struck out 14 kids twice yeah. in two different games. <laughs> I mean... Absolutely dominant, and then you have a sophomore as your second pitcher who pitched a couple really good games. You had Ryan Fitton, who was a really good pitcher. Uh, no, I was not surprised that Staples went through. Uh, Jack McFarland's an awesome coach over there. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised if West Taylor-Wilton had done the same thing, though. You know, yeah. the other teams I thought were good, but didn't have the quite the depth that those three that those three had in Double L.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, uh, as as you said, it turned out to be a you know a, a remarkable, pretty remarkable performance carrying him through and uh, and finally figuring out a way to to solve the uh, the puzzle that was Amity in the uh, in the state baseball tournament. So uh, right, ba- and it
3: made me look good because I wrote the story, and then they, at least <laughs> they can win. Yeah,
0: that's right. Yay! You got to You got to <laughs> I mean, th-
3: there was three three semifinalists. Was good. Uh, good enough for baseball, but yeah.
0: But uh, yeah, uh, yeah you, like to, state, you like to you like to get state the state little one. validation there of somebody uh, of those three se- one of those three semifinalists uh, making you look smart. So that's a good thing.
3: And, and I, I feel really good for Jack McFarlane. He's been there a long time. Um, you know, they lost two years ago in the championship, and, and he's done such a fantastic job with that program. And it's really good for him that he can take home a state championship.
0: Yeah, no question. So it was a very, uh, very exciting season uh, in the FCAC in baseball, uh, culminating with that class double L championship. So, uh, as our sort of uh, resident uh, FCAC folk uh, on the phone with us this time, uh, feel like we at least have to dive in. I know these aren't the sports that you spend quite as much time covering, but. Uh, the, the lacrosse championships, which we're going to get into with some other folks as well, talking about the specific games. But it's funny, I was thinking back, uh, I think I got on the phone with you after the football championships uh, for for this podcast and kind of asked the question of, you know, how is it that these teams, uh, in that case, I believe it was New Canaan and Darien, you know, are kind of building these these programs that seem to just do this year after year. So I guess the question—it's uh, it, a, a an evergreen question, maybe in the uh, the FCAC when you look at Darien boys and girls lacrosse and then New Canaan uh, boys lacrosse as well with a, a third straight championship. And just your sense of, of sort of how this is happening and, and you know it's how the how they continue to kind of uh, be at a level above uh, everyone else they're taking on in the in the state in boys and girls lacrosse.
3: Yeah, what what Darien's doing is. Beyond, because New Canaan's a really good lacrosse program. Wilton's a good lacrosse program. Ridgefield, they're not even getting close to Darien in the last Mm -hmm. couple years. I mean, Darien's rolling through these teams, uh, really good, high-quality opponents, you know. Um, know, And I guess it's been, you know, Darien came out, New Canaan and Wilton, you know, through the 80s. They were the only two really good programs. Darien has built that program up to this absolute elite level where it's one of the best programs in the country. And you look at a program like New Canaan, which is fantastic, and probably is also one of the best programs in the country, <laughs> yep. and they just, <laughs> they can't get past Darien at all. Yeah. And Richfield too, where they, just, they just can't get past them. Um, look, they have incredible youth programs in these towns. They have really good coaching up at the high school level. They have kids who are dedicated to this sport. Um, And both boys and girls. You know, the the girls' side, too, you know, Lisa Lindley is such a good coach and demands the best from these kids and and gets it. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, like I said, all these towns – not all these towns, but, you know, a lot of these towns have the talent. The kids come in with the same sort of talent. Whatever they're doing to extract it at Darien is is really working. And I just don't – you know, they're just not – no one's even coming close. And kids graduate, and you think, okay, this is a year maybe New Canaan will – will surpass them, or ritual will surpass them, but it's just not happening, yeah. you know? Um, New Canaan's won some state championships because they go down, you know, they're down at M, and I mean, they're really, I, I don't know how close those games were, I didn't even see the finals for the championship, but um, you know, they 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 kind of roll through that tournament, too. Right. I, I'd like to see them move up. I think that lacrosse would be suited with a good Division One like hockey has, you yep. know, where you can get... New Canaan up there, no offense to the teams that are in M, but New Canaan's just a class above all those teams right now. Yeah, And I think it would be great if they were in the same tournament as Wilton and and Darien and Richfield. Look, uh, Glastonbury and Cheshire have done great jobs with their programs, by the way, because they're on par. Glastonbury was right there with with Darien for a half of of lacrosse. Mm -hmm. Uh, Darien pulled away, but those programs have really taken a big leap and and they're they're getting close. Yeah, they're getting really close to to breaking through.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I had a conversation this weekend, kind of talking. You know, it's and you sort of say, well, you know, it's looking at it, and you think, all right, yeah, the you know the the rest of the state maybe is improving, you know, and, and getting closer. The problem is that those uh, you know the schools uh, like Darien, they're not you know, they're not staying status quo, they're improving too. So it's, you know, you keep, it's, you, it's like you're chasing a moving target there. You know, if, if they would just uh, plateau a little bit, maybe there would be some, uh, some, some catching up, but they don't seem to, you know, so as the rest of the state uh, kind of improves and tries to, to, to get up to that level, they seem to keep going higher. It's, it's just a, it's an interesting thing to, to see that, uh, how that plays out and, and how it, uh, you know, continues to challenge everybody uh, to, to get to their level.
3: Well, just the, the competition just to get a spot on those teams is so great mm-hmm. that that pushes the kids, you know, the really good players to keep working harder and harder and harder because there's kids coming up behind them that want their spot on the team, yep. you know, really talented kids. Yep. Um, and I think that's part of it, you know, and, and the youth programs in these towns are huge. I yeah. mean, you should see the amount of kids that are out on the field and Darien and Canaan, you know, on, on spring afternoons just playing the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, and that all feeds into this. You know, the, the, the more you get these youth programs up to speed, the, the better you'll all do. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a long way to go. And like you said, they're not stopping. Yeah. <laughs> they, they keep going and going and going. So you're chasing, you're catching up, you can see them, you can almost grab them <laughs> and they got a little kick <laughs> at the end and, and keep going. So, you know, it's, that sport, it's, it's hard. It's really that sport I've seen more than any other. It's hard to catch up to those Top-flight teams. You know, I don't know of another sport that's like that. You know, where. It's just the couple teams that are so so dominant, and everyone's just just chasing them.
0: Yeah, no, it uh, it's uh, as I said, you have to. Uh, uh, there always seems to be some news coming out of your part of the state uh, in the spring championship <laughs> time, and uh, the and this year you got a few other uh, folks breaking through uh, in baseball and softball. So that's why we wanted to uh, to get on the horn with you and Scott. We always appreciate it. Get back to that uh, get back to that ice rink and cool off, and we will. Uh, I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> we'll catch up <laughs> with you again soon. We appreciate it.
3: All right, thanks so much, Joel.
0: There were three Boys Lacrosse Championship games uh, decided over this past weekend, and Dan Nowak of the New Haven Register was on hand for all three of them. So we reach out to Dan now to get his perspective on what took place at Brian McMahon High School in Norwalk. Dan, thanks for being with us.
4: Sure. Thanks, Joel.
0: Great to be here. So we had three championship games and and three repeat champions uh, in in the world of Boys Lacrosse over the weekend, with Darien, New Canaan, and Summers coming away with the titles uh so let's start off kind of big picture Dan what were sort of the the your big takeaway your big impression or maybe sort of the overall story from the boys lacrosse finals uh, as you saw it
4: uh well I mean I, I you know I was really impressed uh, uh with uh, I mean Darianne had a reputation of of being uh, a favorite going into these finals and they didn't disappoint anyone and Summers has been dominating in class s and uh I was looking forward to seeing both those teams play, and they didn't dis- disappoint any way, anybody by, by coming away with uh, you know one-sided victories. Mm-hmm. And the Class M game was interesting because you had Hand and New Canaan meet- meeting each other for the third time in the uh, third straight season in Class M, which is unusual. Yeah. And uh, you know, it says a lot about those, both those teams and then you know New Canaan coming away coming coming away with their third straight win overhand so i mean it, it, it was an exciting day actually despite some of the lopsided uh scores i mean uh it was great some great goalie play uh in, in all three games by both goalies for both teams in all three games and and it was i mean it was a great day for boys across
0: all right. Well, let's start off. You mentioned uh, Darianne, and they've sort of been uh, the story to some degree or another uh, in Connecticut boys lacrosse, it seems like, over the past few years. Uh, back in the championship game, taking on a little bit of a surprise in, in Cheshire in that Class L, and, and it was the blue wave kind of controlling things from the start and, and earning the victory for that Class L title. What stood out to you as kind of the keys to, uh, to the championship in Class L, Dan?
4: well it was just the, the total domination uh that Darian had in every single you know in, in just about every phase of the game uh you know, every phase of the game actually and uh you know they've i mean uh, reflective of that is the recent selection of seven of their players being named US lacrosse all-americans mm-hmm. uh, th- uh this past week uh Darian scored the first five goals and never looked back in cruise at 16-3 win over Cheshire. The thing is, despite that one lopsided score, uh, Cheshire's goalie Peter Brown has to be uh, mentioned here because he made 13 saves and it, it the, the way Darian was dominating, uh, you know, around the uh, Cheshire net. I mean, he really kept Cheshire. I mean, it could have been a lot worse. The final <laughs> score, and uh, uh, he made some unbelievable saves. And even uh, Coach Jeff Br- Braymeyer, Darian's coach, uh, you know, was impressed by him after the game.
0: Yeah, no, uh, no question. Uh, as you said, uh, yeah, a whole lot of Darien, but uh, a solid, uh, you know, effort in, in trying to stave them off from uh, from Cheshire. And you talked about uh, in in Class S, Summers, uh, a team that, as you said, has been dominant uh, throughout the season, and they were able to to put together a pretty dominant performance against Waterford to to earn their uh, their second consecutive Class S title. What was uh, what stood out to you from that Class S championship game?
4: Well. Uh the trend for Summers this past season, for whatever reason, uh, has been slow starts for them. They, uh, their first quarter, they're, they've, uh, they've tend, tended to keep the game close with their opponents, and it was more of the same uh, this past Saturday. Uh, Waterford uh, was only trailing by one goal after the first quarter. Uh, Summers led three to two, mm-hmm. but then uh, you know, the, the, at the break, uh, the coach had a little. Talk with his players. They settled down. They scored the first six goals of the second quarter, and then uh, the you know the route was on. and Summers ended up winning nineteen five for the second straight title.
0: Yeah, no, and as you said, an impressive uh, impressive offensive performance, pouring in nineteen goals once they uh, once they get started, and then on to uh, to to class M, where as you said. Uh, this was a little bit of history, the first time in boys lacrosse that uh, two teams have played each other for three consecutive years. Uh, Daniel Hand able to give New Canaan a little bit more of a game than they have the past few years, but uh, what what did you see as the keys to uh, New Canaan earning a third straight Class M championship? Uh,
4: well, I mean, uh, the, the key was actually the uh, dominant Th- their domination in the last the last six or seven minutes of the game. I mean, uh, overall, uh, both goalies, uh, Hans go- goalie uh, Griffin Fitzmaurice, uh, he had 11 saves, and New Canaan's goalie Drew Morris had nine saves. These these goalies uh, kind of put on a clinic in that game and kept the game close. And, uh, you know, in that fourth quarter it was tied 6-6 mm-hmm. and uh, could have been anybody's game at that point. And then, uh, you know, uh, New Canaan just, uh, you know, Stepped up and uh, became a little more aggressive on offense and scored the last three goals of the game to come away with the win.
0: Yeah, no, it uh, they, they they finish up uh, finish up strong and, and able to earn that Class M championship and uh, and continue their strong play. Uh, You've mentioned a few folks, Dan, but uh, any other you know any players that really uh, jumped out at you and, and really stood out and kind of uh, you know were, were were the stories from your perspective uh, from that from the championship weekend there at uh, at Brian McMahon.
4: Well, in the uh, in, in the Darian-Cheshire game, I mean, uh, I, I was looking forward to watching Kevin Lindley play. Uh, he actually broke, uh, it, you know, thinking about all the great players Darian has had, I mean, he broke the uh, single-season record for most goals with 106, and he was just dominant with uh, lead, He led the team with seven goals, and he was all over the place. Uh, that was really impressive. Uh, for me, in the summer's game, uh, the uh Giacchello brothers uh, Dominic Giacchello and Chris Giacello both had five goals in the game mm-hmm. uh christian Paley uh, was a big playmaker for the team and he he was uh, effective but these uh, Giacello brothers uh, five goals each they were the uh, kind of like the catalysts for uh summers and and getting that offense going after that first quarter
0: basically yeah what about uh, from, and, from Daniel hand and uh, new canaan
4: yeah and uh, you know the, the uh he and the canaan game uh the overall uh balance for for new canaan uh, uh Ryan O'Connell had three goals, and Rich Magnus had two goals for them, but uh basically it was uh i mean they you know they were especially late late in the game when when they scored those last three goals to win the game they were they were uh hustling and and winning uh, ground balls. Uh, they were winning the face offs and, and they were uh you know they they really turned things around in the end when they really had to cuz when it was tied 6-6 some of the player a couple of the players after the game uh, said that they were really concerned and, and kind of uh freaking out that uh, the game was actually tied at that point uh, knowing that it could go either way but uh the offense really stepped up uh, Ryan O'Connell and Rich Magnus really uh really uh you know took over
0: yeah, no. It's uh, as you said. Some some good balance and some impressive performances all the way around. So, uh, capping a, a a great year of uh, of boys lacrosse and uh, some truly uh, outstanding uh, some outstanding teams able to earn uh, CIAC championships. So, Dan, we. Appreciate it. know you're very busy this time of year. The, uh, the season's come to an end, but they do not rest for our, uh, our folks uh, <laughs> covering high school sports and the newspaper business. So we appreciate uh, you taking a few minutes to, to talk about the weekend with us and, uh, and enjoy your summer uh, such as it is.
4: Sure. Appreciate uh, you having me on, and uh, you know, have a good summer yourself.
0: So we apologize. We were unable to uh, get the schedules work and get Don Boyle on the phone. So we, uh, we apologize. No baseball coverage uh, other than our chat with Scott Erickson for this edition of the CIC Cast. But maybe we'll try to come back next week uh, and wrap up uh, the things that we were not able to cover uh, in the championship season. So maybe a little baseball, a little boys volleyball, and, and put a bow on track and field as well. So maybe we'll, uh, we'll do a special edition next week. But uh, we do want to thank uh, th- those folks that were able to join us. And that is a wrap for the, uh, this spring championship edition of the CIAC cast. We hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks to uh, all of our guests for being with us, offering their perspective on what was a great, uh, a great week, a great couple weeks of tournament play and then a really outstanding championship weekend. So thanks to Joe Palladino, Steve Kirk, Scott Erickson, and Dan Nowak for uh, taking a few minutes to chat with us. We really appreciate it and uh, appreciate their time. So we appreciate your time as well. Again, you can check us out at ciacsports.com. That is the uh, uh, the place, all the information you want there. Tournament Central, of course, has all the uh, results from these spring championships as well. Follow us on Twitter at CIAC Sports facebook.com CIAC sports and as always you can uh, we hope you'll uh, subscribe to the podcast subscribe to us on iTunes rate us there leave us a review we would really appreciate that if you would take a few minutes to do that as well so we hope you've enjoyed the spring championship edition uh, good luck to all of our seniors senior athletes who are concluded their uh, their high school athletic careers best of luck going forward and uh, the rest of you enjoy uh, your summer and we'll, we'll be back with you talking a little high school sports high school sports in the fall once those seasons kick off, but again, remember the CIAC cast will be with you throughout the summer. So we hope you will uh, continue to tune in. And until then, we will talk to you next time on the next edition of the CIAC cast.